Well, I've been on a series. I can't believe this. I started it actually in May, and this is lesson number eight, but the Holy Spirit moves sometimes on Sundays, and not every Sunday we've done this, and of course, I've been gone the last two weeks, but, but we've done different things, but I have, uh, I'm trying to do a series on, on just understanding how to walk by faith, and this is lesson number eight, and I wanted to continue that today, but the Lord, again, uh, this, this uh, I mean, he really tagged this one today, and I want to share with you. Uh, faith for uh, faith until the end, and uh, so I want to continue that. And uh, so we're talking about living by faith. And I want to say this: living by faith is acting like God's word is true right now, in the circumstances of your life. So what that does is enables us to live independently of the circumstances we find ourselves in, or or of the pressures that come because of the outward circumstances we find ourselves in. You know, it's walking by faith is kind of like. It's kind of like having a GPS cut on inside of you. You know, if you fly, you know, there's a GPS in the aircraft, right? And they put it on automatic pilot and they put the longitude, latitude in. And I don't care what kind of wind, what kind of storm, whatever, whatever, that plane is going to go to that destination. So, you know, I've taken some long haul flights many times and crossed the Atlantic Ocean. I don't know how many times. And I'm really glad they had the correct GPS coordinates because, you know, just a little bit off, you could get really off and not find your destination. Same way in your car. You know, uh, I use a particular traffic app, and that particular traffic app, when I turn that on when I'm going to a destination, we went to the mountains, and we had to find our cabin we rented. And uh, so we just put the coordinates, GPS coordinates of that uh, cabin in my GPS. And regardless of what the traffic was doing, we may, may have had to route around something a time or two, but we got to where we were going, right? See, faith does the same thing. Faith, is, faith, faith gives us what we don't have. It tells us that we have what we don't have. When it looks like we don't have it, God says, you've got what I say you got. Just keep looking at me, and eventually you'll find the destination, and your prayers will be answered, and what you're believing me for will come. Yes or no? So it's just a really simple way to think about it. First John 5, 4, whatever's born of God overcomes the world. The victory that overcomes the world is our faith. So again, it's a commodity we can't live without today. It looks like we're the generation that will see Jesus come back. And as the world deteriorates, as we're watching it deteriorate now, aren't you glad to know that God your Father uh, has things under His command, under His control? And when you put His Word first in your life, He'll, he'll cause things to work together for good for you. How many believe that? So we're covering eight things you need to know about faith. I've covered five of the eight points. I'll eventually get to all of them. We've talked about faith being a gift of God, uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, faith is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Faith can be increased, number two, by meditation in the Word. We've taken weeks, a week at a time and talked about all of these uh, particular points. Faith can be increased by meditation and practice of the word, uh, uh, Romans ten seventeen. faith comes by hearing and hearing the word. Number three, faith takes the place of what cannot be seen or felt until it actually appears. Faith's a gap stander. So God says, you know, I, I want to heal your body. God says, I want to provide for you financially. God says, I want to help you with the circumstance of your life. Uh, God, God says, I want to help you yada yada with whatever. And faith says, you've got it when it looks like you don't. Is that good news? We take some, we took a, a good deal of time and talked about that. Uh, number four, faith is never future. Faith is always present tense. Hope is future. Faith takes hope, which is looking to the future, brings it to the present. 
And then number five, faith cannot be separated from words. We took two weeks and talked about the importance of words. If you missed any of that, it's all online. Number six today, I want to get right to this. The foundation for faith is a heart relationship with God. Did you hear what I just said? And going back to Mark 11, where I started with this back, uh, back in May, Mark eleven twenty two, Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God or have God's faith. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea and doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes those things he says will be done, he will have what he says. I want you to notice he said, and does not doubt where? So of that, you could say faith is of the heart. Would that be a correct statement? Then he said, therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe you receive them and you'll have them. And then he addresses the heart in a different way in verse 25. He says, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. That your father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. So today I want to hone in on the fact that faith is a heart thing between you and the Lord, right? And faith works best in an environment of love. In fact, Galatians chapter five, verse six, faith works by love. So love for God and the love for others. Now, how many know if I love Jesus, the, 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 the side of that is it, it causes me to love other people the way he loves them. Yes or no? So that he, he summarized that, I think, in, in verse 25 there. So anything that affects my inner life can affect uh, my thoughts, my beliefs, and then because of that can affect my faith. So again, faith works when we have a heart full of love for God, a heart full of love for others. How many know that God wants us to know him personally? It's easy to let routine take the place of relationship. And I thought it was really amazing to me that the Holy Spirit spoke the way he did this morning. Uh, he obviously knew what I was gonna be talking about, but you didn't. And he's already said some of these things already. It's easy in modern culture. In fact, you go through the history of God's people, both Old and New Testament. It's easy to allow routine to take the place of relationship. And we often do that. In fact, I was, um, I was listening. I took a 20-mile bike ride yesterday to uh, uh, Johnson County from my home in Nightdale. And, uh, and I was listening to Jonathan Kahn. Y'all ever heard of him? And he's got a book he wrote a couple of years ago called The Paradigm. And I was listening to it on my uh, earbuds. And as I was listening, he was talking about how, how Israel fell away from God and began to worship the gods, uh, the pagan gods that surrounded them. He talked about uh, Ahab and Jezebel, the king and queen of Israel, who uh, uh, Jezebel actually came from a foreign culture. And she caused pagan worship to be amalgamated into the heart life of, of, uh, the, of Israel, and it caused their downfall. And he was contrasting that with what's going on in America today, how we were founded as a, as a by and large Christian nation with Christian ideals. But there are movements and forces seeking us to move us away from the foundations that made this one of the greatest nations in the history of the world. And we are floundering and failing right now. How many hear me? So he was talking about all that and he was talking about how, uh, how the prophets would come and, and encourage the people to, to walk back towards God, not walk, not walk away from him. And unusually yesterday morning, before I even started my bike ride, 
I was sitting on my front porch enjoying the rising uh, sun, uh, in, in rising, uh, the sun uh, rising there in the east. And, uh, and I came across this, and I'm reading through the book of Isaiah uh, for the Old Testament in a pers- my personal reading. And I just, I just came across this, Isaiah 29, 13. And Isaiah, don't forget, lived 700 years or so before Jesus came. And he said this, and he lived, uh, oh, 50 uh, years or so prior to uh, Israel going into Babylonian captivity. That's the time frame for Isaiah's ministry. Isaiah and Ezekiel, I want to mention Ezekiel in a minute. Ezekiel had a, had a tremendous ministry, as did Isaiah. And they were challenging the people of God to do right and, and, to, and to stop doing wrong so that God could bless them and help them. Isaiah 29, 13, And so the Lord says, These people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. Now, that's a challenge, isn't it? Is that a challenge? So the prophet Isaiah is talking to the, to the Israelites. They had become a huge nation. They were blessed, uh, perhaps, uh, above any nation at the time. They were opulent. God had blessed them in a huge way. And he said, your hearts have departed from me. I've got another translation. I think it's Berkeley translation. It says, your worship of me is but the memorized injunctions of men. That is, it's something you say mechanically or automatically. It reminds me when I was a little boy. I was raised in the Southern Baptist Church. How many have been, how many here were raised in the Southern Baptist Church? Raise your hand. Well, God bless the Southern Baptist. But one thing I remember about the Southern Baptist Church is we sang from a hymn book. How many have sang from a hymn book? Raise your hand. I got a lot of those hymns. I sing them all the time now because a lot of them are good. Some are embalmed with unbelief, but a lot of them are really, really good. So anyway, when I was a kid, uh, we sang, you know, page 243, page 185, whatever, and the song director would sing with the three, sing three hymns before the preacher preached on Sunday morning. How many remember those kind of services? And, um, and so I remember as a kid, I just noticed I'd look around at everybody and everybody's, you know, husband and wife would, would hold the hymn book together. My mom and dad were holding one and I had to have one on my own because I'm a little boy. And I'm, but I'm looking at everybody and everybody's just singing and their mouth's going and they're just kind of singing. But, but, but there, there's nothing on their face. There's no, there's no outward expression that their heart's connecting with what they're saying. And uh, people were just saying things and singing things that they heard. In fact, we had one song uh, that we sang called Bringing in the Sheaves. And I was about four years old when I heard that one. And my mama, you know, we didn't have a dryer at the time. This is the early 60s. And my mother hung the sheets out on the line. And when I got to church, I was just sure they were singing, Bringing in the Sheets, Bringing in the Sheets. We shall go rejoicing, Bringing in the Sheets. And it was revelation to me when I found out bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the harvest. I didn't get it. I know it's crazy, right? The mind of a child. Nonetheless, so the whole idea is uh, I was raised and things were mechanical for me. Now, maybe it wasn't for everybody, and I'm sure there were people that had a genuine experience with the Lord and such, but it was mechanical for me until the day I had a heart transformation with Jesus. And, and I want you to know, and, and, and what became apparent to me, both Old and New Testament, is easy for us to become mechanical in a relationship with the Lord.
Faith is a heart thing. It's something on the inside that moves us towards God. The prophet Ezekiel, again, was a contemporary of Isaiah, 700 years or so prior to Jesus coming. And he said something really stern to the Israelites. It seems as though the Holy Spirit, before judgment, came to Israel and they were taken off of their land in Babylonian captivity in, in uh, what, 586 B.C. or so. Uh, uh, God had these, these men of God rise up uh, uh, again and again and share things with them. And here's Ezekiel, Ezekiel 33, 31. So my people come pretending to be sincere and sit before you. They listen to your words, but they have no intention of doing what you say. Wow. Their mouths are full of lustful words and their hearts seek only after money. Verse 32, Isaiah 33. You are very entertaining to them. Like someone who sings love songs with a beautiful voice or plays fine music on an instrument. They hear what you say, but they don't act on it. Wow. You know, in our American culture today, we've got some large churches. Nothing wrong with large churches. In fact, you know, we're, we're in the top percentile of sizes of churches, which means nothing to me. But I'm just saying that we have large churches. We have a lot of people going. But it's easy to get involved and not let your heart get engaged with what you're doing. That's what Isaiah and Ezekiel were trying to uh, get across to the Israelites before judgment came. I have uh, one of my study Bibles I came across years and years ago as a life application study Bible. I turned it on to my staff team. I think Cameron mentioned it uh, the other Sunday when he preached. They had a note right beside, and when I study, when I read in the mornings, I actually read on my iPad, and I can read various study helps and aids while I read my Bible personally. I came across this yesterday. Listen to this. This is the commentary from Life Application Study Bible of Ezekiel 33, 32. It says this, the people were coming to listen to Ezekiel in order to be entertained. They weren't interested in hearing a message from the Lord and then putting it into practice. Many people treat church as a form of entertainment. They enjoy the music, the people, the activities, but they don't take the messages to heart. They don't seek to be challenged or to serve. And then he asked the questions, the commentator here. Have you reduced church services to the level of entertainment or does your worship truly have an impact on your life? Listen to God's word and then obey. Apply his words and put them into practice. Isn't that good? And then Jesus, 700 years after Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jesus came and talking to the most religious people of his day, the Pharisees, boy, they, I mean, they dotted their I's, they crossed their T's, they had to do it just right. Jesus replied to them and said, you hypocrites, Matthew 7, verse 6. Isaiah was right, and he quoted what Isaiah said in Isaiah 29. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Again, the whole idea here is you can go through religious motions and have ritual and not relationship. How many know we, we want to steer away from that? If you're going to have a faith that works, faith is of the heart. And faith is a personal fellowship with the Lord from the inside. It's not a mechanical outward thing that we do. It's something that flows from a heart that's alive to him, right? And then Jeremiah perhaps had the best answer, Jeremiah 29, 13. And you will seek me and find me 
when you search for me with all of your heart. Israel had departed from God in their hearts. It cost them everything they had. Again, the Life Application Study Bible of this uh, verse, Jeremiah 29, 13 says this, the people claimed to be close to God, but they were disobedient and merely went through the motions. Therefore, God would bring judgment upon them. Religion had become routine instead of real. Often we slip into routine patterns when we worship and when we neglect to give God our love and devotion. If we want to be called God's people, we must be obedient and worship him honestly and sincerely. Isn't that a good word? So there's something about heart fellowship. Does not doubt, Jesus said, in his heart. So, so our love for God is at the basis of being able to relate to God by faith and then live by faith. And love for God is not a feeling. Love for God is something that we do. And that's what a lot of people really don't understand and don't realize. Jesus said this, love for God means I've got to put into practice what he asked me to do. If I really love him, I'm going to do what he said. John 14, 21, the disciples came to Jesus and Jesus commented to them by saying, those who truly love me are those who obey my commands. Or obey my word, you could say. Whoever passionately loves me will be passionately loved by my Father. And I will passionately love you in return and will manifest myself within you. That's the Passion Translation, which I really like. He said, if you love me, obey my words. If you, if you love me, do what I say. And all my life, I've heard people say, oh, I love the Lord, Pastor Mitch. Gulp, gulp, gulp. Porn, porn, porn. Lie, 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 cheat. You see what I'm saying? Jesus said, if you love me, do what I say. So again, faith is a heart relationship with the Lord that affects how we live, yes or no? Then Jesus said this after talking to the disciples, Peter, a little bit, verse 23. Jesus replied, loving me empowers you to obey my word. And my Father will love you so deeply that we will come to you and make our dwelling place. Those who don't love me will not obey my words. The Father did not send me to speak my own revelation, but the words of my Father. He says, if you don't love me, you won't obey my words. So, so what's the key? What's the key that Jesus said is to loving God? If I love God, I'm going to do what he said. If I'm saying it, if I'm singing it, if I'm going to church, but I'm not doing it, I don't really love him. And see, that affects faith. And that's my emphasis today. First John 2, 3 through 6, again, the Passion Translation says it so well. Here's how we can be sure we truly come to know God if we keep his commands. If someone claims, I come to know God by experience, yet doesn't keep God's commands, he's a phony, and the truth finds no place in him. Wow. But the love of God will be perfected within the one who obeys God's word. We can be sure that we've truly come to live in intimacy with God, not just by saying I'm intimate with God, but by walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Again, you know, obeying his word is proof that I love him, proof positive. You say, well, pastor, I love Jesus, but I mess up here and mess up there. When you mess up, fess up, confess your sin and walk with God and say, Lord, help me not to go there. Help me not to do what I absolutely know is wrong. Listen, we're living in a culture that no holds a barred now. And uh, the spirit of Antichrist is loose worldwide. And that spirit is seeking to get us away from the ethics that made this nation great 
and that, and that really are holding the tide of evil back. The spirit of Antichrist is a loose spirit. It's a loose attitude with no morals, no behaviors that are wrong. Anything goes if you want to do it at the moment. That is the spirit of Antichrist. How many hear me? If you like it, if it feels good to you, if it looks good to you, if it's something at the moment that seems pleasurable to you, go after it. Nothing wrong. There are no, there are no moral absolutes and there are no standards. And friends, that is the thing that will bring the spirit of Antichrist uh, to rule worldwide. And then one day, one day there will be a reign of that person the Bible calls Antichrist. And that's why you sense the pressures that you sense right now. And that's the reason there's such a pull on everybody's flesh just to kind of chill out a little bit. It's not time to chill out. It's time to love Jesus with passion. How many hear what I just said? So again, in the current climate, it's easy to wall ourselves off from God. It's easy to, you know, uh, uh, just go through the motions the way I did as a child. But how many know we don't need to push God away when pressures come? And with the pressure that's coming in the world because of what Jesus said would come before he returns, we need to come closer to him more now more than ever before, yes or no? Notice again Proverbs 3. This is familiar. 5 through 8, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bone. Message paraphrase says it this way. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. I like that, don't you? Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one. He will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. Run to God. Run from evil. Your body will glow with health. Very bones will vibrate with life. You know, uh, back 40, uh, uh, next Monday, the 12th, I'll be 46 years old in Jesus. And that's when I, I gave my life back to Jesus after getting away from God in my teenage years been here any length of time you heard my little stories about all that but i came back to the lord got filled with the holy spirit the sunday night about 7 20 at night september 12th and for the next few weeks i was on cloud 12 i mean you know the sky was blue you know things were great god was good and i was just loving him enjoying him uh but then but then after that after the newness of the experience i had with the lord kind of kind of you know faded away a little bit um I noticed, I, I didn't know why, but I was beginning to pull back in my relationship with the Lord. And, and I had this feeling that in some way I just wasn't quite pleasing enough to the Lord. You ever felt that way? Well, I did. I was 18 years old. And um, there, there was an air of inferiority. Um, and I wasn't really sure that God loved me and that he was really pleased with me. It was just something on the inside. And, and, and with those feelings that kept coming up, it was difficult for me and I was challenged to really get close to the Lord with those kind of thoughts. And I came across Jeremiah 31.3, the Lord has appeared to me of old saying, yet I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness have I drawn you. And I knew that God loved me, but I needed to, to, to get to a place just on the inside of me that I could face these feelings and thoughts that kept coming that made me feel like the Lord didn't want me to be close to him. 
And then I began to see as I, as I said, God, what's wrong with me? And why am I feeling this way? I've had such a great experience with you since September 12th. And this was a number of weeks later. Well, what is going on? And I, I began to see I was judging and I kept seeing my father. I was judging my relationship with God based on my relationship with my father. And I love my father. My father died uh, uh, 10 and a half years ago and I had a great relationship with my dad. He had no idea that I had to deal with any of this. And I never really spoke to him about it. It was something that I had to deal with personally. My dad had a really strong personality, a very strong work ethos. And, uh, you know, my young brain interpreted how he lived and how hard he worked as rejection from him. And I didn't realize that I thought or even felt that way. But let me just say this, the way that your family life went, has a great bearing on you being able to connect closely to the Lord. Did you hear what I just said? And you've got to, you've got to move through the mental muck and the mental thought, the thoughts and the feelings that arise based on your experiences with people that are close to you. And since God is a being that wants to be close to us, any, any, any relationships you've had in family where you should be close to someone and they treat you less than stellar or exemplary or you interpret it that way. How many know it can have a direct bearing on your relationship with the Lord? And I, I had to deal with it. I said, God, I, I don't know what to do. I want you, but something feels like you don't quite like me the way I am and I don't know what to do about it. How many know when you come to the Lord, you become very aware there's lots of imperfections in you? I, hey, this is 46 years later. I'm still very aware of the imperfections in me. Are you? I mean, Isaiah got close to God in his presence and he said, I'm a, I'm a man of unclean lips. I stand among a people of unclean lips. The presence of God is so pristine that when you get into that presence, the human part of you feels not ready. And God wants to make us right. So you've got you to find a way to get through that. For me, it was a big deal um, that I, I, I had to deal with and I had to forgive my father and there's nothing I ever needed to talk to him about because I don't think he would have understood it if I had even tried many years later. I didn't even try to go there. A number of reasons. I don't have time to get into it. Uh, and sometimes life is that way. You know, if you know there's a friction between you and somebody else, how many know you need to go and make it right? But if there's a friction and it's something within you and the person has no clue, you just opening up a can. You don't need to open up unless that person gives you permission. Yes or no? So uh, anyway, I had to deal with this. And, and there was this, that, and the other. I forgave my father for this. I forgave my father for that. And then I had to deal with, hello, mom. My mom's watching. Oh, hi, mom. I love you. I had to deal with my mother and, uh, you know, deal with some things with my mom. And I, I never really spoke to her about those things because I didn't need to because they were things within me. Does that make sense? It's the way I synthesized life. It's the, way I, it's the way I interpreted life at the time. So you may find yourself having to do that. So in the middle of all of this, I found that we relate to God in a lot of ways the way we relate to our parents. I had loving parents. I had caring parents. At the same, same time, my mind and the way our relationship was interpreted certain things as harsh and rigid and I, I began to think that God was harsh and rigid towards me. I had to overcome those things. So the first step in doing that, I had to forgive my 
my dad uh, about a number of things and my mother as well. And then I, I, I come to see that I needed to accept by faith that God loves me no matter what I do. I might do it right or my flesh might trip me up and I do it wrong. But you know, regardless, God loves me. And you've got to get that revelation in your own heart. And a lot of times we have a Pharisaic attitude, that is. We feel like if we're not dotting our I's and crossing our T's, doing everything just right spiritually, that somehow God's not pleased with us. God's not pleased with you because of what you do or don't do. God's pleased with you because of Jesus. You hear me? That doesn't mean we don't need, need to live holy and right because I spent the first part of this talking about having a heart relationship with the Lord and obeying Him, right? But at the same time, you know, it's not your own righteousness. It's not your own works that make you right with God. It's Jesus' work. And there's a real balance to that. Some people take that too far and they live any old way they want to live and think that things are right. And see, that's, the wrong, that's an imbalance as well. It's also an imbalance to think that you've got to dot your I's, cross your T's, and everything's got to just be perfect for God to accept you. He loves you, period. Yes or no? John 17, 23, I and them and you and me, Jesus said, may they experience, that's us, may, they, may the people of God experience such perfect unity that the world would know that you sent me, and this last part got me, and that you love them as much as you love me. Would you say that with me? God loves me just as much as he loves his own son. Now, what does it do to you when you say that? Does your mind go tilt? That can't be true. Does your emotions say that's, that can't be right? That's what Jesus, Jesus said that. John 16, 27, for the father himself amplified, tenderly loves you because you've loved me and have believed that I came out from God. That word for love is the word for friendship. God is friendly. He loves you because of the qualities he sees in you, not because he has to. I used to think God loved me because he had to. And when I saw this Greek word for love, which is the word phileo, where we get our word friendship, God doesn't love me because he has to. He loves me because he wants to. When I was 18 years old, I took these scriptures to heart, and I said it over and over again, and I would say, God, it doesn't seem to be real, but you love me. You love me not because you have to, but because you want to. And Lord, you love me just as much as you loved your own son. Isn't that amazing? And then scriptures like 140, Psalm 145, 8 and 9, the Lord is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. I would read that and go, wow. I thought God had a short temper. I thought he was ready to squat me one. In fact, when I was a little boy, I literally thought that, that uh, God knew Fred Flintstone real well. Because somehow he got that club that was in Fred Flintstone's hand. And he was just ready to swap me one when I did something wrong, you know. And then when I read this, the Lord is gracious. The word gracious, look it up, disposed to show favors. The Lord is grace of, gracious and merciful. Judgment is when you get what you deserve, but mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve. The Lord is gracious, merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He's not quick to anger. He's slow to anger. You wonder sometimes why people can be involved in certain issues of life that they know are wrong and just keep going there and going there and there without repenting, never even trying. How does God put up with that? He's slow to anger. Aren't you glad God is slow to anger? I don't know about you, but I sure am. Slow to anger and abounding. 
In steadfast love, the Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Then Psalm 145, um, let's see, I'll, I'll just get that. Psalm 103, 8, the Lord is compassionate, merciful, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. He will not consciously accuse us, nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. Aren't you glad? This is a young man. And even now, I'll go back and read these verses. They mean so much to me. If you've got this air of condemnation, this air of inferiority, this air that you're not quite pleasing, go back and read these verses. My notes are online. I forgot to mention that to you. Go, on, go online to victorychurchraleigh.com. These notes are free. Download them. Get these. Read them over and over again. Again, his unfailing love towards us, verse 11, Psalm 103, uh, towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. If you ever start east, you'll never be traveling west. It's infinitum. It's an uncalculable number. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. Again, if you've got a father figure that was aloof, distant, in some ways harsh, uncaring, you've got to work through that in your own mind. You've got to be willing to forgive the father figures in your life, the parent figures in your life. Our parents are often mirrors of God to us. And we unconsciously go there when we're singing, when we're worshiping, we're reading the word, when we're thinking about the Lord because they were the first authority figures in our life and because God is an authority figure. Often in your mind, you, you just kind of equate the two together. In fact, God created parents to show his love to their children. But because of sin, our love is messed up, right? It's self-centered. And we often don't do things the way they need to be done. So again, once I began to see that God's love for me was not conditional, see, I could open my heart life up to him. And I finally got over that, that, that uh, air of a cloud between me and God. When I first came to the Lord, and all these years later, I continued to develop my relationship with him. Again, I'm just talking about becoming tender. Are you tender with God on the inside? I'm going to give you this illustration. Years ago, this is a long time ago, um, I had a guy, uh, in fact, a lady attend our church, and her husband did not attend. And he began to attend suddenly and, and abruptly. I thought, well, this is great. And then he came up to me and told me he had a liver disease. And the doctor said he was going to die. And um, I, prayed for the, I prayed for the man. And he was a nice fella, um, but I, I, he came into my office, I talked to him, and I, I could see he was really, really not doing well at all physically. And he wasn't seeming, seem, seemingly grasping the things and truths I shared with him about uh, letting the Lord minister to him physically and heal him. And so at the time, this is many, this is 20-something years ago, uh, Kenneth Hagan had a healing school in Tulsa, Oklahoma on the Rama uh, Bible College campus. And when Susan and I attended there back 40-something years ago, uh, he had started that uh, just before we went there. Anyway, I knew that was available, and I knew they allowed people to come from anywhere in the nation uh, and, and go to what he called healing school, stay there a week, and, uh, and then just go to their services day, af and day after day. And then people would minister to him one-on-one. -on -one. This guy was in such bad shape. I, I told him, I said, you know, I, I want to send you. I want to pay your way. I paid his airline ticket to go to Tulsa and uh, then paid for his hotel all of his food all week long. And uh, he went to uh, Kenneth Hagin's healing school all week long. Well, he went for a whole week. I paid the whole bill. He came back to see me 
I, I met him in an Applebee's restaurant. He used to be on 70, and I think there's a medical place there, but that was Applebee's years ago. And I sat, I can still remember where I was sitting. And he's right across the table, I'm drinking my unsweet tea, and, uh, and he's drinking his beverage. And I said, well, how's it going? And uh, he said, I just didn't get it. I said, what? He said, I, I, just, I just can't believe. Here's what he said. I can't believe that God loves me enough to heal me and help me. And in talking to him, again, he had father issues, listen, that were never resolved in his life. And those father issues had so hardened him inside. He just, it was like a wall and a barrier that kept him from being able to believe that God would even want to help him. I mean, y'all, I poured my heart out to him. He spent a whole week with Kenneth Hagin's healing school. Now, these people know what they're doing. They're skilled. They're, they helped a lot of people all over the world. But when he got back, he said, I, I, just, I just can't receive. And um, my goodness, you know, he did get born again, but I never was able to get him to breach that and help him to see that God loves him. He had such father issues in his life. He had become an alcoholic and that was his way of dealing with the challenges in his life. Cirrhosis of the liver actually killed him. He died. He went to heaven. You know, I prayed with him. He got born again. But I never could get him healed because of the father issues. You know, I, I can't tell you how much that affected me when that happened. And, and it showed me in my own life how important it is to keep my heart tender towards God and to let things go. I wonder while I'm talking here right now, as I close, how many of us have issues like that that keep us from having a clear heart connection with the Lord? You can have misuses and abuses that come. You can't help how people treat you in life. Yes or no? But you are responsible with how you choose to deal with it. If I choose to hold on to the hurt, to the pain, to the irritation, to the anger, to the animosity. See, what it does is it walls me off towards God and it keeps me from being close to him in my heart. And y'all, faith is of the heart. Did you hear what I'm saying? So I want to encourage you. You know, God wants to be close to all of us. Uh, your ability to get close to the Lord perhaps can be seen in your worship time. Let me say this. The presence of God came today. How many sensed him? I'm done preaching. Can I just talk now? I, I sense the presence of Jesus. But see, when the presence of God comes and you can go and you can get close and you can enjoy some intimacy with God, closeness with God, but you remain rigid, erect, unmoved, emotionless, That'll tell you something. You know what that'll tell you? Your soul is holding on to something that's creating a barrier between you and the Lord. God wants to free you from that. How many hear me? Say, what does it take? It takes letting go of offense. Like I had to let go of the offenses towards my father. This young man, for whatever reason, he wasn't willing to let go of the offenses. You know, I've noticed there's some families that find it easy to forgive others. And I found other families, they'll hold on right till, I mean right till, they'll even have, they'll, they'll hold on as far as they can. Their fingertips are holding on, turning blue. And then finally they'll let it go. 
You got to be willing to let it go. Some people find it harder than others to let things go, but you got to do it. If you want to get close to the Lord, and we're living in a time now, listen, you want to be close to Jesus. How many hear what I'm saying? I'm not gloom and doom. I'm a very positive person, but I know we got some stuff we got to deal with in our future. And I know that our relationship with Jesus will take us where we need to go. And I, I can't tell you how much he wants to love on you right now. How many want him to? You may be here today as I close and say, you know, Pastor, I, uh, I want to be close to the Lord, but I'm not as close as I need to be. And you may say like you, I, I feel like there's something that's kind of in the way of me going to the next step, next step. You know, all of us have phases with the Lord. Life is that way. We, we grow line upon line, precept upon precept. Even in our physical bodies, we go from babies to childhood to teenager, adolescence, and then we become a mature adult. There's stages and phases to growth. And there's always a stage and phase to growth in God. And let me tell you, as long as you walk with God, you should always be growing. And here's what I've noticed in my life. There are areas when, when you get close to the Lord, start walking with God. You understand he puts up with everything in us because we're so unlike him. Is that true? And little bit by little bit, line upon line, Isaiah said, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. Spiritual growth is incremental and God won't deal with everything in your life at once. In fact, when you first come to the Lord, there might be one or two things he'll say, now you need to deal with that or that because it'll get you in trouble quickly with your relationships, perhaps with him and others. And, and then you'll go for a period of time and then it's like God says, now, now we got to deal with this. And you've had something in your life for a period of time. Nobody knows it but you and the Lord, but he'll say, I want you to deal with that. And you've got to be willing to say, okay. You know, a lot of people, when they go from one phase of walking with God to another, they stop at a certain place and they don't progress. And that's because we're not willing to make the changes he wants us to make. I've been walking with Jesus 46 years. You know, he's still asking me for change. If he asks you for change and you say, not today. And then the next day he asks you and you say, not today. And then next month, he, he says, I'm looking for change. You say, not today. Eventually, he'll stop talking. We're living in a time that he wants a heartfelt relationship with us. Jeremiah said it best. It'll come to pass that you'll find me when you search for me with all your heart. Close your eyes, Lord. Lord, this is a strong word to me. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving me. Lord, thank you for loving us when we're unlovable, when we do it wrong, when we say it wrong. Thank you for meeting us. And I pray, I pray for the hand of the Lord to be on every person in this room. And Lord, I ask you to draw us to you. Let there come a closeness in each person. I ask you to visit every person in this room with your presence. Not just while we're here, but when we're alone. Today, this week, when we have time and nobody's around, draw us to yourself. Speak to us. Cause us to want to change. Cause us to be willing to bend. Cause us to want to yield. 